What's happening, guys? Thanks for joining. We'll just wait a few more minutes. Wendy, Von P, Cordelia. Like I told you, I need glasses. Mr. Shamdam, yep. Chevelli, Chevelli. <laughs> it's been a while. Just waving, just waving. Yeah. Jody, Holly, yeah. Nice to have you on, guys. I'll uh, just give it a couple of minutes, but today we're... <clears throat> I wasn't going to go live tonight, but I'm doing it by myself because I'm not going to be too long. It's work. Okay, it's work. So, so, um, it's a, a case of me just looking at good learning um, for our practice as things closer. Yeah, as practice for, especially students, you know, like this channel is about students. Before I go on, um, Tell me what stage you're at. Some of you, you're going to do this every single show. Sorry about that. You're going to do this every single show because I don't remember, but I just like to know who I'm talking to. Do you know what I mean? Um, mm, we will talk, we'll be talking about Adam today. I'm going to try and talk slowly because I talk too fast. My brain's going 500 miles an hour. My mouth's trying to keep up and it doesn't work. What stage are you at in your studies or journey or what brings you here, I guess? <laughs> Got some friends on here as well, it looks like. Yeah, yeah, all right. 30 seconds more, we'll be ready to go. <coughs> I think it's a whole family here tonight. <laughs> Yeah, so this is it, right? Um, that's nearly 30 seconds. So what we'll be doing is we'll be looking at, um, I'm reading from my laptop. So if you see me looking down, that's what it is. And we'll be looking at a serious case review. I, I felt really compelled to uh, do this session. First semester. Oh, well, you in the what, entire in, in Canada, well done. Sorry, let me start again, because I'm going to be so distracted. Because you guys are about 10, 15 seconds behind. That's what it is. So I get a delayed response. I'm trying to time my questions, really. So, yeah. So let me, let me go into it. So today I'm looking at a serious case review. I felt very compelled to do this. And I'm going to do a lot more of these because there's a lot of learning. No, not just for you, but for me as well. So I reflect a lot. <clears throat> and it means that when I come across... Uh, information I always think about it and what does it mean for me um you know and so I'm I'm sharing it with you because that's what this is about it's about us learning together so it doesn't matter how many years I have or have not got on the in the game of social work what I need to know is that I'm always learning and in fact what I'm learning is the more I learn is the more I realize I don't know so that's why it's important to do this but I'm actually just trying to keep the passion for social work alive. I don't want students coming in here confused and shell-shocked. I want students to come in and newly qualified ASYE to come in and hit the ground running better than they would have 
had they not had the discussion. So this is a serious case review about a young man called Adam. That's all we have is his name. And I'm going to read to you quite a bit. And if you have any questions, just ask, okay? Um, a background into Adam's story. Let's have a look. Uh, where are we? Here we go. Adam was believed to have been at risk of criminal exploitation at the time of his tragic death. Um, he was suspected of being involved in criminal activity, but this had not resulted in any formal outcome or charge and was being investigated. Now, you're going to get a lot of cases like this, okay? Yeah, that's right. You're going to get a lot of cases like this where you've got a young person, whether, especially if you work in a youth offender. No, we're actually not in a youth offending service, but in social services, you'll get a lot of cases where a young person is at risk. And so we have all the signs that the young person is being exploited by someone else. Now, if you want to understand what that looks like, just go and watch Top Boy 2. It looks clearer in Top Boy, Top Boy 3, actually. Um, go and watch it because it will help you understand the system of exploitation, how it starts and how it ends. Um, so here we go. So Adam, every, all the signs are there that Adam is being exploited and then he was involved in a car accident. Um, and then he died, unfortunately. And so this is a serious case review because especially when there's a death involved, then there's going to be a serious case, serious case review. Um, Adam and his family received support from a number of services, including children's social care and the complex safeguarding team. And there were concerns about how partners worked together to identify and provide timely support in response to the risks of criminal ex exploitation. Now, interestingly, right, you as a social worker and any other supporting um, frontline workers or professionals, you're going to be a part of the building of the safety plan and how to um, manage the risks. It's, that's the language constantly, managing risk, managing risk. That's why we're there. And we safety plan and risk assess. Um, they're not all the same thing. And that's something to be talked about in another day. And when you do that, one of the factors that you have to look at is that you actually sometimes don't know what to do, but you have to find the answers as a social worker. That's it. That, it's as simple as that. And so what you do as a social worker is that you come together with others to find the answers. Now, you kind of do because you kind of have some of the answers, um, but you'll understand why this particular case was a struggle. Let's go into it. Um... Family involvement. In fact, let's start with a practitioner. Practitioner involvement. A learning event was held with practitioners and team managers that had direct involvement with the case. The views of practitioners gained from the respective multi-agency chronologies and the practitioner event have in been included in a report and analysed by the practice review panel. Now, the family involvement. At the time of writing this report, Several attempts had been made by the local children's safeguarding partnership to contact Adam's family, inviting their involvement with the practice review. To date, the family have not responded to these requests and have been unable to include their views. Of course, they've lost their child, right? Let's learn from this now. This is where the real hard learning gets, gets um, laid out now. Adam appeared to be viewed... So, sorry, this is under the, um, the, the, the heading, gathering and analysing and sharing 
information, yeah? Adam appeared to be viewed by agencies as a criminal rather than as a child who may have been demonstrating learnt behaviour and who was vulnerable to criminal exploitation. Interesting. I've had this, right, where often it's the police, but it depends on the type of police officer because some officers are working on the streets as um, liaison officers, so they kind of get it. But um, I have often found that the police, and I'm not speaking against the police because they're wired to solve crime and to bring just and to bring a degree of justice, but they won't see what we see. They won't have the the training or the empathetic factors to see what we see. And one of the challenges is that um, the agencies, and I don't, it doesn't specify if it was social services as such, but the agencies. So sometimes the agencies you work with, whether it be school or whether it be uh, um, um, police or any other service, a lot of them, even though they're built around trying to manage the risk of children, and it's all about young people and children, they won't always necessarily see the young person as a victim of their behaviour, through which their behaviour is expressing that they're a victim. So, you know, we as social workers will see a child and say, well, actually, why is their behaviour such? And we will analyse and evaluate and theorise, maybe it's because of this in their past, maybe <clears throat> their parents have done this to them. Sometimes we cannot connect their behaviour, which really offends us, or can be quite harmful to others. We won't connect the dots and say, well, actually, this child is a victim. And the moment you stop looking at the child as a victim, whether they deserve it or not, <clears throat> historic issues, thank you, <clears throat> um, once you stop doing that, then you're going to look at the child as a perpetrator of crime and you're going to start to treat that child as an adult. And that's a slippery slope. So that's why we have laws to require multiple acts of parliament and in, in the Children's Acts as well, um, to require all agencies to look at children as children and not as adults and to treat them as such as well. So the agencies tended to look at him as just a perpetrator. You've got to be careful of this in your practice because when you pull together, thank you, adultification, um, you, obviously you're going to need to join me in a live at some point um, because I can see what's what you specialise in. Fighting for my children's rights. Um, we need to pull agencies together and they have to really look at children through the lens that we determine as professionals. We can't allow them to look, use any lens to look at their children. We've, we've got to determine how they look at it because we are really the coordinator and the person responsible, the lead professional in the vast majority of meetings. And so we have to set the tone. As a result, agencies had not considered his increasing involvement in criminal activity as a safeguarding matter. As a result, the multi-agency approach was used to gather information about him, which could be used primarily to assist with the criminal investigation. So really, they, they you, you know something, we have to be, so, there's so much to learn from here. They, guys, if you are obviously studying or if you're new in the game, I, I'm saying that culture can be developed, okay, to cause, uh, you'll have the same groups of professionals meeting often, okay, 
similar schools or the same colleagues and what they would do is they will create they can create a culture of how to approach um the analysis of young people in professionals meeting in professionals meetings and so you have to be careful that they don't have a culture that is oppressive or that denigrates um or looks at young people in a way that is not right or illegal do you understand it's illegal to look at a, a child as an adult in many respects, you have to set the tone for that. And so as a social worker, for example, you will need to take charge. And whether you are introverted or shy or not, you have to take charge with your language and your refusal to comply with it and put it straight when it's done wrong. So if people are using language that is not right, doesn't matter how well you know them, you have to put it right because you are responsible for that. Yeah. So much is to, to go through here. Uh, let's have a look. Um, often they use historical history to oppress. They can. I agree with that. Um, I'm not going to go through the whole thing. And I said it's not going to be too long that we'll be doing this, okay? Um, I'm going to look at... Um, I keep saying um. Every time I say um, I'm going to put 50p in a jar. Here's something interesting. I won't go through the whole thing because it's, it's not that it's long. It's just that I want to pick out things that we can learn from specifically, right? In practice, tomorrow, I want you to get this. Welcome, Miss Nessie, a regular um, guest on the show. Uh, I want you to be able to, by tomorrow, to use what we talk about today, okay? That's the plan, okay? The practice review panel identified that there was a limited engagement of Adam and his family with services. This should have led to a reassessment of the level of safeguarding risk, including the likely impact on Adam's daily lived experience. Significantly in the context of living in a family where adult caregivers had criminal convictions. Now, are we saying that people with criminal convictions can't be great carers? Absolutely not. I've worked with them and some of them you would never know. And they have left that life behind. But we, it is incumbent on us. And this is why it is difficult. Because if you have a family that refuses to let you in the house, to engage, what do you do? Do you walk away? Now, this is learning for me. Okay. No matter how much I want to help. If I'm turned away, should I walk away? Well, actually, no. I'm going to read something that will help you understand why. Um, because Adam was being viewed as a perpetrator of crime, the need for him to be protected from harm appeared to have been missed with agencies and slow to make due assessment and intervention. So we've got family doesn't want to know, and you'll get that. You'll get one in probably 10, 15 families who don't even want to let you through the door. That's the reality. And there are real issues in the background of their family and the, the parent is like, sometimes they're nice and say no thanks and sometimes they are, um, sometimes they are, uh, um, they absolute refusal to even talk to you. Sometimes I've had one, not too long ago, extremely aggressive, like in my face, aggressive. And it was, it took a lot for me to hold back and just step back and say, okay. At the end of it though, I put in the work, I stuck around because I could have walked off and been and run away. Um, I decided to stick around for that one. And, ended up shaking their hand at the end, but they're still not working with us, right? And so what we have to do is that we have to establish 
the risk that we can interpret from that and say, well, are we going to push ahead? That's the challenging thing because once you start enforcing involvement, how well can you work with that family and is it of any value? So these are the questions that are raised. So that's why it's always good to put in the work with a family um, and, and try to, that's 50p in a jar, and put in uh, the work to, it's just another 50p, <laughs> to put in the work beforehand so that you can work with them as best you can. Let me just read a couple of comments here. Can you link this article? I don't know how, but I'll send it to you, okay? Uh, it's a really good... Um, show. I'm going to be skint by the end of the show. I'll put the link in the DM if you want it. But it's on the NSPCC website. And if you Google NSPCC case, serious case reviews, you'll find a load of them there. We'll go through them. So absolutely. Uh, evenings, yes, okay. That's what I'm saying. Using historical history to oppress... There aren't any suitable tools in place to support the family. Well, we need a bit more on that because I don't think that's quite the case. But I do think that we are struggling, absolutely. It depends on your approach as well, um, fighting for my child's right. It depends on your approach. If you don't use the past to judge and oppress, then it won't. But it's got to be taken into account. Uh, I'm naming and I'm naming, I'm being curious about that fear and where it's coming from. Are you talking about me or you? I'm not sure. Fear. What fear? Are you talking about fear of be working with families that are uh, challenging? But again, the actions of the family towards the services is because of the historical trauma families. That does happen, of course. Had that today, actually. It's so crazy because that's our pre-session task for next week. Lovely. So I've got some students who are on it. Excellent. Bear with me whilst, uh, whilst I just have a brief look through this. Okay, so... When we're looking at children who exploit, the things that they do, it will scare you, all right? And it depends on how high up the ladder they are. They are being groomed. Uh, typically, children where the father is in, in, in play typically where there's multiple children in a single parent home, you're going to find vulnerable boys in particular, but girls too. And the way it plays out is different with each. Why do we exploit? Well, if I was a groomer, I would exploit someone who didn't, uh, who wouldn't be subject to this same, uh, how can I say it? Um, so adults can be stopped and searched. Young people, it's very rare that they can. So they, tend, they typically are used to ferry drugs, county lines throughout, through the county lines throughout the country. And a lot of the time when we get cases, the children are missing for one, two, three, four weeks. And they would switch off their phone and they slightly disappear, but they'll make minimal contact <clears throat> through social media. And so what we try to do is we try to understand what safety means for them. It's very difficult to do that if they don't talk to us. So what do I do? Do I enforce it involvement or do I keep working it? Now I've got time frames. I've got like, you know, 45 working days to do an assessment. Plus I've got a hundred other assessments and, and objectives to complete. So how much work can I put in as a social worker? I need some tissue. Um, hopefully my wife's listening and she can just pass me some, right? I might have to go and grab some. So 
what we what we want to do is work with the family but if that wall is there how do we contextually understand or understand the context of the risk that we're dealing with safety needs to be holistic it does and it's only really holistic when we have the structures in place and the right people to do it and it can be really tricky and complex the systems do that we have do work for some but it doesn't work for everyone so how do we keep a child safe? So we've got young people who, uh, like Adam had, um, he had a very high, this was interesting about him. How can I, where can I find it? He had a very high, actually, I think it's in here. No, no, no. Okay. He had a very high attendance rate. He had like a 97% attendance rate at school. So then you're thinking, well, how's this boy being exploited? And then we've got other people saying he wants to do it. It's his choice. We've had police officers say, look, we've given them a chances and so forth. Um, we've referred them to the National Referring Mechanism and they're still carrying on. I've worked with young people who, you know, in a week have, you know, been to court twice in the same week. They've robbed two, three, four people, been caught on camera. And it's like the camera's there and they're still doing it. <clears throat> so what's driving that? Like they come from a home and sometimes they come from a parent, a two parent home. They've got siblings. They come from a good family. What? What uh, what is it that's driving a young person to go to court? Now I, I remember working with a young person, more than one, who had been to court like five six times. People are thinking, man, I should go to jail and learn. Actually, no. What's causing that? And and I'm going to get to it. What what is what what is making a young person constantly escalate and say, get a knife, get a gun, stab people? because they're being made to do it. So I've worked with young people who have been stabbed because they won't stab someone else for, or, or for say, obtaining drugs. Uh, I've, I've seen young people just being abused in the most heinous ways. And then girls are, you know, they're vulnerable. What do we mean by vulnerable? Meaning that they haven't had the structures necessary for their, to, to support behaviours and emotional needs, the love, the, 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 the strength of what a two-parent home does bring um, or maybe the, the mother has never been capable. So she probably got, for example, got pregnant at 16. The dad ducked out. Um, she's got another boyfriend and then she got pregnant with another. So she's distracted. And so <clears throat> she will fall into the system when she's out there just trying to find a need and then she gets in with the same guys that we're trying to work with. But in order to be their friend, you have to have sex. And instead of, her, instead of her walking away, she finds solace. What would make a young person do that? Find solace or comfort or sense of safety in giving her body over at the age of 14. Um, because that's it. Because the gaps that were left, they're going to be filled by something. Yeah? And so the young boys are similar, but their actions are slightly different. They tend to be different. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> Still recovering. So... The boys now are being forced. They hold a gunpoint, knife point, and threaten regularly. And they're threatened by people who cannot be touched. Let's just get it clear. You can't prove it if you haven't seen it. And, you know, there's no point in bringing someone to court when there isn't a clear offence. So that's the nature. So what they do is they will get people who appear to be innocent or school children. And who are, you know, as long as they're vulnerable, they can be vulnerable and attending school really well, doing really well in school. But look, hold this, carry this over there. Next thing you know, it's like they get robbed. They might set them up to be robbed. I'd like young people to watch this. They'll set you up to be robbed. And then when you're robbed, you, oh, you have a debt. And I've worked with kids who, 
don't make any money. They're just servicing a debt that doesn't have a ceiling, you know? And then they try to get out of the game, but they can't. And the next thing you know, they're in court and then they're in court again and they're in court again. They're being forced to do it. So at one point it's a choice and then there comes a point when it's like, you're, you're not leaving, you're in. That's what we're talking about. And then the parents have been either what they feel and a perception and truth. I always say perception and truth. Per, sorry, perception is more powerful than truth because they may feel let down, but we are all, all limited in what we can do. I, even as a social worker, I am limited. If you've got a, a young person who's been threatened by the, the guys down there, I can't move him. I can't move him from one house to another. I can't move the family just like that. It's not a simple thing. It doesn't happen just like that. And for some families just want to be moved out of the area. It doesn't quite work like that. There's a lot going on, right? So we have to ask a lot of questions. And, and because we don't have the answers, we have to speculate. But what can I do? Can I stop? So I've even moved young people to family far away and have come back because family's been threatened, right? Come back and keep working or else. Switch off their phone, change their internet, pro, uh, their social media profiles and they're found or they're drawn back. Why would you come back? And that's the power. It's power and it's powerful. Um, so we can't... Con we can only speculate when we're going to try to contextually safeguard, understand the context of their safety. For safety for them isn't just about being away. It's about removing the cause, but we can't remove the cause. We can't remove the cause and we can't remove the cause by creating more punishment. We can't remove the cause of their oppression and their, and their um, exploitation by being tough on crime. It's not going to work. There is no statistic that shows that being tough on crime works anywhere. No. So that's, yeah, thank you, it's so sad. Housing moves slow, but I've, I've sat down with housing on multiple occasions with housing. Like, can we move this family? It's a major safeguarding issue. We've sat down with housing in the past. Now, housing has said, we have no houses. <laughs> there is nowhere, you know. That's the challenge. And then you say to the parents, well, where do you want to move to? Or should we just move you anywhere? And you break their system because their family's here, but you're going to move them 100 miles away. What do they do with their jobs? What do they do with their friendships? And their friendships are, hey, this is good learning for your assignments. Mental health. Your friendships are mental health. If you don't have a friend or friendship or system, you're broken. <laughs> I need tissue. So, you understand where we're going with this, like, we don't get to cure these problems. Yes, I have been involved in that as well, moving a child out of the country, yeah. Um, doesn't solve the problem, unless they're gone for good. But then if the family that they know are left here, it's a problem. You know, if they know where they live, if, if they know where they live, then it's a real problem. The problem, uh, the problem is that we have, is, is that we have been neglected for so long. The gangs have had the space to grow and develop. Plus, I see the police losing power. They will target at the bottom of the line. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we've we've solved more knife crime. We've had more knives handed in. It does nothing. It hasn't done anything. You know, the numbers don't show that handing in your knives does anything. 
Because when I put it on you, what, what you handed in your knife? He's all right. Here's another one. You dare not leave the house without a knife. Or your life is on the line. Young people being excluded from school isn't helping. It's not helping. Uh, it's not helping, but it's not helping the children that they're exploiting whilst they're at school. This is a, a problem that is like, let's look at this objectively, okay? Because ex um, being excluded from school doesn't help the young person, but it does help the people that they're going to school with. Right? That's an argument. Well, I mean, I want to read your comments, boy. <laughs> okay. Um, poor engagement. Did I read that already? Oh, no, here we go. So, okay. Um, learning points. Always follow safeguarding procedures to assess and manage the risk of harm to a child in parallel with any criminal investigation. Utilise early, the early help assessment team around the school approach at the earliest opportunity. Now, this wouldn't be social care necessarily because we come in at a bit of a later stage. And you've got to understand your district safeguarding procedures. Okay. And I have to refresh on that. Um... There was something here I wanted to read briefly. Ah, here we go. Adam had attended school with roughly 90% attendance in years 7 to 10. Only in year 11, and with the closing, and with the closing of schools during, due, due to the pandemic, did Adam's attendance drop to 47%. You see that? The pandemic, I was always against that, but that's a controversial issue. I thought it was bad because we were working in social services. We were all saying this is not good for families. It's going to be a problem. And look, um, the children were being exploited massively during the pandemic because no one had eyes on them. And now we're picking up the pieces three years later. As a vulnerable child, and it's in quotes, due to Adam's child in need status, efforts were made to get Adam to attend school as normal. Now, if he's earning £1,000 or he's, he's turning over, Earning and turning over are two different things. If he's turning over a £1,000 a week easily, why would he go to school? And that's what they say. And so, yeah, it says here that um, his school made good attempts to support Adam and they also tried to transition Adam into further education. So there are a lot of, a lot of bending in, in this way and that way to make things work, just to keep, just to help young people desist from crime and being exploited they will allow you to go into specialist provisions. It's not just pupil referral units, but sometimes colleges to, um, in those college environments, they sometimes do better. So there's a lot of bending, <coughs> but it depends on the child and, and what their needs are. <laughs> Social workers in particular were persistent with efforts to engage Adam and his family. In addition, they did consult with a clinical psychologist about alternative forms of engagement. Assessments were completed and it was completed and it was noted that the social worker was able to capture Adam's wishes and feelings as a part of the assessment, which is really good. For a family that doesn't want to know, that's really good. Um, when you've got a lot going on as a social worker, a resistant family can sometimes throw you off and say, look, how much effort should I put into this? And sometimes, you know, you, you might find the mental and emotional strength to strategize with a resistant family we don't want to hear from you 
we don't want to let you in the house. You're not coming in. I don't want to hear you. I don't want to hear your voice. And for this social worker to persist, how did they find the mental and emotional uh, capacity to, how did they do it to really get a result and just to capture the boy's voice, Adam? Um, but this social worker, or it says social workers. Um, so there's a lesson there. So even when it's impossible, try and get through the door. And if you can't, try and get something. Something. You've got to try, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. So that, that's, that's what I'm going to say on that, because I could be talking all night. I think when it comes to safeguarding and protect, contextual safeguarding, um, yeah, there's, there's, the, the, the lives are always saved. Always saved. Uh, when it comes to contextual safeguarding, a lot of the time there are just patterns of behaviours that we're so used to and we can make the assumption that we can't get through the door in this one. I think that exploitation needs to be dealt with culturally. I think that we need to change the way that we treat drugs and treat people who are buying and selling. I think we need to legalise it, which doesn't mean to just let it flow naturally. I think that we should manage it in, 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 through government, which has some drawbacks, yes, but it will stop the exploitation. The way that young girls are treated and are used and abused as a result of exploitation um, is scary. The way that young boys are being manipulated, you know, I think that we need to do something about fathers not being involved in their children's lives because they are the easiest pickings. There's dads that aren't around because they can't get on with the mum. You're crazy. I could never not get on with my wife leave her and leave my children. No, there's nothing she could do. Now I say that because there are some situations where parents are um, resisting contact, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about fathers who push and say, I want to be a part of my child's life and are there. I'll tell you who, someone who I know is my brother-in-law who is not with his, um, with his children's mother, but he's there as more than some fathers who live in the same house. Do you know what I'm saying? And that's what it takes. And we build a culture of men who stand up for their children in society. That's something that I think needs to change. And I think the government should drive that. Um, what they are driving is, the only thing that I see them driving is economics, bad economics. Um, they need to be driving culture change to build society. Do you know what I mean? Um, I also think that, yeah, legalising drugs will take away the criminal elements of it. Uh, yeah. And then we can start working on these kids. Now they've got, they've got no one forcing them to do that kind of thing. The only thing we have to really focus on with our children is neglect and child sexual exploitation, which is another topic. Yeah, let's have a look. Um, see some comments here. I can't tell you how many times I would be in my garden, watch my children playing, thinking about how many children are at such high risk without the safeguarding of the school and the pandemic. Yeah, I get this. Um, we have issues where younger people are going to colleges and not school and are being groomed at a college now by older teenagers instead. Yes. See, see, look, I'm tired of, that's the word, quangos. Look it up. Okay. Now, look, I don't trust Labour or the Conservatives, so forget this partisan approach to the problem this is an approach that is systemic at a root okay 
Um, we've got so much neglect out there on the streets. Like we've got parents who have one, two, three, four children and they never had the ability to parent effectively. That's the reality. And so their children are just like low hanging fruit. Um, we do need to have a society that is family oriented, orientated, whatever the word is. We need that. That's a part of the culture change as well. It, it's not all right to just have, mm, let me be careful what I say. So yeah, we need to change that. We need family because we know that that unit, when it's solid, there's just so much less exploitation in those units. Yeah. Um, I've heard with my ears, social services threatened to revoke, re maybe remove the children on a DV case, which further victimised the victim of DV. Now it's a complete shutdown. Yeah, well, I don't know much about that case. You might have heard it. I don't know what to say about it, really. But I think, you know, if the child's... If a, if a parent is experiencing domestic abuse, remember, I mean, remember in the pandemic, it like nearly tripled, I think, the death rate for women as a result of uh, domestic abuse. And when the, your football team loses, it goes up to 70%. Your chances of being killed are 70% increase. So, you know, if a child is in the home, what are they seeing? And should social services get involved? And if we think that there is an imminent risk of harm or if there is, if we see bruises and stuff like that on a regular basis, we should be saying, now we can't remove, but we should be saying, look, you can't have that. Look, we have families where the parent has chosen the partner over the children. Happens. It happens. So what do we do in that situation? Are we waiting for someone to die before we do something? Parents have to make decided decisions now there's a shutdown, but what else can we do? We have to say something, but this is an interesting debate. I'm not providing all the answers. I'm just saying that it can be a dilemma. The approaches of families will mean a world of difference. Yeah, I agree. That's all ego. These dads and mums need to fix it. Absolutely. <laughs> you got a lot to say. Some mums and dad are the ones exploiting the children. That does happen. Jody, what are you saying? Um, it would be so much more impactful if it can be dealt with, dealt internally community-based programs yeah criminalization is only going to continue to produce the same results yeah we know that yeah all is well uh, gotta log off thank you yeah so um oh no there's more sorry we need to we need a society to stop attacking the low-hanging fruit absolutely roots yeah we get to the roots that's how you cure it um i don't get that one how can these families be supported with their child still in their care <laughs> well i think ultimately and i'm not even talking about you know you know uh the ideal i'm talking about now in reality as you know this country it has access to money um it doesn't it puts its money where it wants to put it so if we want to uh, fix a problem, we can find three billion, we can find that, and put it into the system. It's a lot of the system that needs fixing, but just looking at social services, we could do with two, two or three billion over time. We could do with that and we could fund people to hit the ground and start to build the families back. Family practitioners, 
youth workers, we need them. You know, I love being a social worker and I love that we are needed. We are absolutely needed, but I think that we need more local uh, critical demographic theory. That's a new one. I should coin that. Critical demographic theory, where we just use people in the community that are well-known how to navigate their own communities to hit the ground and build society. Or what we are preparing for is just a lot of people who are going to fall ill, who are going to be resentful, and they're producing two, three, four resentful, broken people. And it has to stop with dramatic effect. It's like, I'm always about that gradual process, but this has to stop. Like, we need immediate investment. And whether we are pulling money from debt, we're borrowing from China, or if you're borrowing from Curtis, you borrow that money and put it in because this is about tomorrow. And yeah, okay, um, we're <laughs> often as I often see that social services seemingly attack the parents rather than going after the criminals targeting their families. Social services are not going to target criminals, that's not our job. We're there to safeguard children. If we're talking about children's services, we're only there about the children at risk. Uh, we try to manage that risk, but yes, we are limited. Yes, yeah, uh, yes, that is the name that I've been looking for critical demographic theory. Should we hold that? That is a moment, I'm telling you. Um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna wrap up now, but you know what? Um, what can we learn? We can learn that when there's resistant families, we have to try and dig in a little bit more and evidence that we have tried. And what we haven't been able to do, we need to evidence or theorize in our assessment because we've had limited engagement. We have to draw from what we think could be. And that's the purpose of your theory is to draw from what you think it could be. Why? They are not engaging and we can look at their history. We have to, because it helps us understand their present. We cannot deny history. As much as history can be ugly, um, we, I forgot what I said now. Well, I just read a comment and that's not good. Um, where was I? It's slipping away. Assessment. We have to use theory to make sense of what we are seeing, along with what we have seen with our own eyes. That's the best we can do with very resistant families. We have to apply some level of context to the risk that we see. Safety isn't just moving away. So contextual safeguarding will say, what does safety mean for you? What does it look like? And do we get a child's voice? Sometimes we miss that. Um, my assessments won't be signed off unless I have captured everyone's voice. And then we try to do that. They may not, but you do your best. So yeah, um, I, I hope that this helps. Um, we'll do more serious case reviewing. I'll do it with someone else too. It won't be just me talking away, but I thought I'd throw one in there quick. Um, I'm, go I'm going to sign off. This has been a lot this week. See, you're keeping me in there fighting for my children. Listen, a child-centered plan, absolutely. We are trying to keep this life going, all right? But yeah, guys, listen, thank you for your time. Thank you for your input. Hope this helps. It is, teaching. It is a teaching resource. Um, look after yourselves. And if you want more, DM me, you know.
can you have a student on when you do a case review next time? A student. Do you want to join? Join Jody, it sounds like you want to be on. So if you I'm gonna hang on just to see if you want to come on next time. Yeah. Um no, no, don't, don't apologize. We need these comments because I can see your passion. So that's not a problem at all. Thank you. Thank you, of course. Jody's saying good night, but I think being so much time behind. Thank you. Have a blessed evening. I will. Um, if you want to join me on a live, let me know. If you have a topic for a live, let me know. Otherwise, guys, take care. Oh, no. You want to learn more? <laughs> All right, I'll get a student. I've got a couple of students, actually. No worries. Yeah, lovely. All right, take care, guys.